This podcast is a presentation of UCTV.TV, University of California Television. Like what you learn? Help others discover UCTV podcasts by leaving a comment or rating in iTunes. Also, make sure to check out and subscribe to our YouTube original channel, UCTV Prime, available only on YouTube at youtube.com slash UCTV Prime. This UCTV podcast is sponsored in part by Audible.com, your destination for the widest selection of digital audiobooks available, including many by guests you've heard here on UCTV. Audible.com is offering UCTV podcast listeners a free 30-day trial subscription and one free audiobook download. Just visit audibletrial.com slash UCTV to sign up. That's audibletrial.com slash UCTV. And thanks. Clearly, we've had two very lively uh, concurrent sessions. Um, we all missed something important, which is why we're now going to kind of put our experiences together from these uh, two sessions. And we've got Dr. Herbie Lee, who's the UC Santa Cruz Vice Provost for Academic Affairs, the Diversity Officer, and a Professor of Applied Mathematics and Statistics to lead us. He's also a member of the steering committee for this project, so we're pleased to have Dr. Lee. Thank you, Susan. I'm happy to be here. It's such an important issue that we're dealing with and hopefully, hoping that we'll actually get some good results out of this and some great strategies for moving forward. So the point of this session is to try to recapitulate what we've seen so far throughout today, um, the, the earlier talks as well as our breakout sessions, um, try to synthesize it and figure out how we can move forward. So we'd like to start, um, since we had breakout sessions, to get summaries from the moderators of each of these two sessions so that those of us who are in one session can find out what happened in the other session and we can try to put all the pieces together. So, who's, who's going to come up first? Well. <laughs> so, our session was um, engineering and computer science, and um, we heard a lot about, you know, the, um, the needs of the field. Uh, in terms of um, the global marketplace, the changing demographics, um, the fact that uh, STEM is not engaging women and URMs, and also another aspect of the field being that um, our area, uh, because engineering is really um, uh, about solving problems, um, it's really ripe for social impact and for opportunities for changing the world uh, through applications um, that perhaps we're not taking as much advantage of in trying to attract um, women, more women, and more um, professional, you know, who would, women and people from underrepresented groups. So um, one of the ideas that came out is, you know, how do we, how do we change the, the field in some sense and make it more appealing? And uh, inserting design into uh, STEM to make it uh, STEAM, the A stands for arts, but it's really design, uh, was, was one of the things that, that was suggested. 
And, you know, there have already been efforts in this area. A lot of uh, um, schools uh, have taken the lead um, in computer science about uh, introducing media computing as being uh, the introductory computing class and looking at um, uh, really creating, you know, something um, artistic uh, with your technical skills in trying to engage students in um, computer science. Also, it was pointed out that some of the sub-areas are actually doing reasonably well compared to others. So, for example, environmental, uh, biomedical. Um, why is that? Is it the societal impact uh, issue? Um, very well may be that people can see the, the uh, need and the um, opportunity for actually making a difference in the world. Um, so what kinds of things can we do? Well, um, we need to pay more attention to earlier education um, and uh, really um, look at issues of persistence and what makes, uh, what will both attract and have um, women and women of color persist in our areas. And I did want to just, oh, I keep stepping on this, sorry. Uh, did want to mention this, the um, study that Carol reported on, which uh, is, a, is an incredible data set. Uh, they followed um, undergraduate engineers for four years at four very different colleges, ranging from uh, Smith to MIT. Um, and uh, studied the persistence of those students, what, what made people uh, succeed. And she um, talked a lot about the importance of confidence. And this was one thing that came up with um, in our group. We didn't really talk about the technical side very much. We really talked about all those social factors that influence why someone comes to the, uh, the, the major or the, the uh, research area and persists in the research area. Uh, and Carol's uh, article um, that she reported on really broke down confidence into expertise and professional role confidence. And um, professional role confidence, uh, that is you know, in your intent to stay in the field, um, is, was stronger for some of the um, uh, underrepresented groups. Um, she also reported on um, some qualitative studies with um, minority women in, in STEM, who actually stayed in STEM, uh, and really looked at why they persisted. So having positive childhood experiences, going to this summer camp uh, was, was one thing. Uh, making a social difference was something that mattered to these, these women. They could see that, uh, that, that they would be able to do that and, and stay in a technical field. Um, social class played a role. Um, so for instance, uh, if you came from a professional family, you might be more inclined to um, both feel more confident, more grounded, and in some sense, um, more, uh, more empathy when things went wrong. Um, teamwork was also important. Uh, and um, most of these 
women developed uh, strategies per, for persistence that involved social support networks of one sort of or another. And um, so um, giving um, young women positive collaborative experiences and with the emphasis on positive because uh, that collaboration can also be something which if it turns out negatively uh, can turn, turn them away. So, um, and, um, so what we're trying to do is really combat the isolation that arises from the numbers that we have now. So I think I'll stop there. Thank you very much. So let's hear from social and behavioral sciences now. We had a terrific panel. We heard from two deans, uh, a dean of, uh, Dean Dosher, dean of the School of Social Sciences um, here at UCI, and Dean Janess, the dean of the School of Social Ecology here. Um, dean Dosher and Dean Janess talked about the stability in the last um, decade or more, um, perhaps a slow increase in the numbers of women or the pr proportions of women in their disciplines, but uh, stability in terms of um, underrepresented minorities, both in the classic uh, disciplinary departments uh, of um, the School of Social Sciences and also the interdisciplinary School of Social Ecology. Um, although there is diversity in mission and perhaps a more flexible sense of uh, boundaries and expertise um, in an inter interdisciplinary school, nonetheless, um, the similar um, demographic profile and stability. Um, as Dean Janess said, there, were, um, there was never more than one or two underrepresented women in the entire school at one time over the last decade. Um, there was a discussion, though, that was more in-depth than that. Dean Dosher talked about compositional differences both across and within um, disciplines, um, that fields and subfields that were more quantitative tended to be more male, uh, larger and growing fields, and also often, um, and I don't, this is probably not a coincidence in terms of the way that we culturally value expertise, but nonetheless, often were seen as more cutting edge and worthy of recruitment into. Um, so uh, that was a, another structural uh, point that was made was research, uh, others' research on how if you take a system with roughly equal proportions of men and women, say, or um, different groups, um, and you add a small amount of uh, differential bias, by the time uh, a multi-level hierarchical uh, progression is made, uh, there is a very stark underrepresentation of the group that perhaps there's a very implicit bias against. Um, there is a discussion of cultural attributions of excellence. Um, uh, research was reported on um, if, uh, work, this is similar to what um, Jean reported on Carol Saren and, and colleagues' work, um, that if uh, the assumption, if one's um, distribution rule is meritocracy, as it really is in the university system, um, then there is, in fact, more toleration of uh, obvious inequities. So how to unpack those cultural ideas of meritocracy as perhaps gendered and erased. Um, on a more optimistic note, um, Dean Dosha reported success in a couple of 
uh, well, more than a couple, but uh, two I'll mention very briefly now, targeted areas of um, implementation um, and intervention that she could make as dean. One was in um, small um, mentoring of underrepresented groups, and she mentioned uh, uh, Latina women undergraduates, um, small groups, support. Uh, and another was uh, the partner program among faculty that her, uh, at least historically, when perhaps when um, there, was, there were more resources in the budget, her office at the dean level absorbed the cost for departments for recruiting partners um, of other, um, you know, highly qualified uh, desired partners into a department. Um, and that these were important in increasing at least the proportion of women in um, her um, departments. So history um, might continue to repeat itself, but uh, we're hopeful that with the resources of today and also the next roundtable, which will focus on mentoring hosted by UC Riverside, that we can all um, contribute to a, a more diverse future. Thank you. Thank you very much for both of those excellent summaries. So at this point, we want to open it up into a, a larger discussion. Uh, we want to hear about what you think some of the critical issues are that we're facing, what are some of the stumbling blocks we're facing, uh, and what are some possible strategies for addressing these issues. Um, so I'll encourage you to, to come up to one of the two microphones, and um, let's just have a discussion. Hi, I'm Linda Sachs from UCLA, and when I, I was in this room for the discussion, and some of the, the observations that were made really fit with some of the research I'm doing right now, so I thought I would share some findings that I think are very relevant. And so I'm doing a grant for NSF that's using the nationwide survey of college, fre college freshmen that you may be familiar with. So we have a nationwide survey of entering college freshmen. We have hundreds of institutions and millions of students over 40 years. So what I'm doing is, along with Jerry Jacobs, my uh, PI from Penn, we are looking at what are the gender differences in the factors that lead students to choose particular STEM disciplines in college, but more importantly, how has that shifted over 40 years, since we've got 40 years of data? So there were two observations made earlier. One had to do with the importance of making a social difference. And what we found is that if you look over the 40 years of the data, you know, consistently for women, this desire to make a social difference is a detractor from intending to major in any of the STEM fields. Uh, but, and that's really not that surprising, but it's been very consistent. But what we've seen that's changed is the role of a creative or artistic orientation. So this gets back to the comment made earlier about the, the art and design side. So what we see is that for women over the years, it's always been the case that those who have a more creative and artistic orientation are less likely to pursue STEM. Um, in particular, we're focusing right now on computer science. So in the context of computer science, women have always been less likely to pursue computer science with an artistic orientation. However, in computer science, the negative role played by an artistic orientation has become significantly weaker for the women. In other words, there seems to be somewhat of an opportunity to attract more women. Um, hopefully that, n that decreasing negative effect can soon become a positive effect. That would be the ideal. So these findings are ongoing. I'll have more to share later. Thank you. And um, I do want to note that there, there are various innovations in terms of programming within fields such as computer science. I know at Santa Cruz where I am and at Irvine here, there are 
majors in computer game design of various flavors. And this is, is something that integrates the hardcore of computer science with a fair amount of artistic design um, and various pieces that come in from the arts. And so this type of confluence might be useful in, in broadening the field. Hi, Marianne Mason from UC Berkeley. And since we're sharing findings, uh, I have a paid grant as well, and we're disseminating information that we got over the last 10 years, uh, Mark and Carrie and I. Uh, do babies matter in science? And we found the greatest leak in the scientific pipeline occurs because of family formation, largely childbirth, also due careers. And it happens after women get their PhDs in the STEM field. So this is one thing we've, I think we're all aware of, but uh, it wasn't mentioned this morning, so I thought we should mentioned that as a major issue, which we haven't really addressed today. Thank you. Thank you. That's definitely a major issue. I just, um, Kim Lau, uh, UC Santa Cruz. I just wanted to add one thing that came up during the SBS session, which um, Dean Jeunesse raised, the issue of white privilege and how the presumption of white privilege in an institution like UC that's predominantly white goes a, a long way in our review processes and even in um, new um, additions to the APM that we've had like APM 210, we've already seen backlash against that from um, the Committee on uh, Academic Freedom, just as an example, that much of the discourse that we encounter um, often um, is what we are up against. So while we're all here and we're all working in one direction and we continue to say we would like to see more diversity, we're all on board for this goal, et cetera, I think that we also need to really face that issue of white privilege that was raised this morning and to um, think deeply about how to shift the culture of the university as a whole discursively as well as in practice because um, that seems to be something that um, you know, since those of us who are here support these diversity initiatives, we're not always fully engaged with. So I just wanted to register that that came up. I feel like that was a really important part that um, wasn't mentioned in our summary. Thank you. Yes, that's also definitely an important point. Um, UC Irvine has recently done a study of their graduate students and uh, interpreting some of the free remarks. You can look at very, very different ideas about what diversity is among graduate students. It shows that there's not a lot of agreement and that this issue of, of what position you're coming from may very much affect how, how you feel about the definition of diversity. Uh, Laura Grindstaff, UC Davis. I, I had a question. I was also in the SBS breakout session. I had a, a comment there that I didn't get a chance to ask, so I'll just pose it to the larger group, um, which has to do with the relative siloing, I think, of the STEM disciplines from the arts and humanities and social sciences on most of our campuses. Because the other, the other place in the social sciences and humanities is where a lot of the actual research is, is taking place on diversity issues, on issues of white privilege, on um, you know, racial and ethnic discrimination. And so it, it occurs to me, and maybe this is already happening um, in some STEM fields, that a, another way to sort of think about this culture shift is not just about pinpointing bodies. We need to get this or that kind of body into the curriculum into onto the faculty, but also to think about what kinds of research are happening there that might attract the sorts of constituencies that we, you know, we want to augment. And um, I th so, you know, what sorts of 
questions are of interest to more marginal communities in California, for example, and to sort of also think about those strategies as opposed to just specific. So that's, a, that's both cultural and sort of structural what kinds of research is happening. Who's interested in that research? And maybe the research questions need to also shift a little bit um, in order to start creating these avenues of collaboration. The other thing that came up in our session I wanted to just flag as well was the importance of partnering with other kinds of institutions which historically have done a better job at, at asking those kinds of questions and doing that kind of research, say, historic black colleges or um, Hispanic-serving institutions, for example, that, that we should be partnering with those institutions to build uh, a healthy pipeline and to sort of recruit and retain great graduate students and great faculty, too. Thank you. It's an excellent point. Make sure we're asking the right questions, and we don't need to start from scratch. We should reach out and, and work with people who have, have been down this road before. So I've really been struck... Uh, in the morning sessions by findings that uh, people of color and women and presumably the intersection of those two uh, attributes are very attracted to the application of their work to solve problems that are important to our planet, to our people, to underserved communities. But we have a big problem, I'm, and I'm speaking to the vice provosts in the room particularly. We have a huge problem in our APM, and that is that translational research is not adequately rewarded. I have been seeing this as a huge issue across our campus at Davis. What this, what I've suddenly realized at this meeting is that this is a huge issue for diversifying our STEM faculties, that if we're going to, you know, the kinds of questions that Laura Grindstaff was just talking about, if we're going to recruit people in those areas, we better be ready to reward the translational products of our intellectual scholarly activities in a way, in a real way. And I think this is, it's not just an issue for diversifying STEM, it's an issue for UC affecting people's lives more on a day-to-day -day basis. So i just like to say I think this is a monster issue that is extremely relevant to our advanced efforts across the whole UC system, and uh, I think we've, we've got to tackle this. So, Thank you. Yes, outreach is definitely important. In terms of um, reporting on other um, NSF advanced grants, Gene uh, Ferrante and I at UCSD are studying faculty at a science-oriented research university in Southern California. And we, um, we're fi our findings are um, currently um, being analyzed, but they're absolutely consistent with some of the comments that have been made, particularly uh, the last three comments at the, this mic. Um, there is, among many of our faculty, um, an assumption um, and these are these are selected for the people that are willing to talk to us. So I don't know how um, rampant this assumption is in, among um, everybody else. Um, but we we did survey. Uh, our response rate was was about 53 percent of the overall um, faculty in the STEM fields. And then we also have qualitative interviews with right now about 70. Um, so we do. Are, we are talking to a lot of people. 
And there is, um, in many cases, um, an assumption that meritocracy means a focus on science and excellence, and any other goal uh, is a potential detractor from the best science. Um, and so there is enormous cynicism about uh, bureaucratic um, pressure to increase diversity when A, the mission is supposed to be scientific excellence, and B, uh, our, um, our action is so constrained by California law. Um, and so there, you know, that is just really something that is uh, a part of our culture. Um, and uh, what I would hope that our future roundtables could do is, um, I made a pitch for this yesterday at the Research Scholars Advisory Board and nobody <laughs> agreed with me, so I'm gonna try again. <laughs> um, that uh, the, the audience for our roundtables uh, can't just be other true believers. Um, somehow we have to recruit what may be the more mainstream, um, people with more mainstream cultural assumptions um, or lack of information um, about these issues. Um, and also, to the extent that we're doing research that, I mean, it might be obvious to all of us in the room, but, but not to everyone, that if we can connect diversity and quality. So for example, the, the UC um, presidential postdoctoral program, um, I believe, has been um, uh, viewed uh, very positively in the natural sciences. But at least in my department, um, I have to admit that some of my colleagues, um, there's a stigma attached to these individuals because they're a, a, a narrow pool not recruited primarily on the basis of excellence, but rather excellence plus diversity. So to the extent that we can document, and some researchers, researchers are doing, um, the enormous success and quality of these individuals, that would be the type of thing that could perhaps uh, sway some minds. Thank you. Thank you, it's an excellent point in making sure, again, how diversity is viewed, and we need to make sure that it's viewed in appropriate context with its appropriate benefits. Yeah, um, on what she said. Um, but in addition to what she said, um, I, I was at the, the, the UC President's postdoc um, retreat over the weekend, a weekend or so ago. And um, I'm in the humanities and, and, and fine arts division. But I, I went specifically to the uh, sciences uh, presentations because one of my jobs is to, as, as acting associate vice chancellor is to help identify ways that we can not only promote the president's postdoc, um, but also in the humanities and the sciences, but also in the STEM. So I went to that one. Now, one of the things that I understood was that since I'm not a scientist, maybe my report back wouldn't be so valuable. But one of the reasons that I wanted to go was so that I could hear the scientists themselves who were mentors there saying how brilliant these four women were that I heard. And um, the other thing that I think is really important, uh, that, that whole point about um, you know, this, this idea of meritocracy and affirmative action uh, or excellence and affirmative action not necessarily being um, you know, two parts of the same coin, but that there's you know, somehow something uh, uh, damaged or the stigma about um, uh, the president's postdoc, like what's wrong with him that you have to do something extra, right? So it was important for me uh, to, to see those differences. And then finally, it really is important, I think, for us to think about 
um, the, the historically white colleges and universities. I mean, we're used to saying HBCUs, but not HWCUs. You know, this idea that there is this, um, you know, this is kind of racial privilege that's going on. So a key thing that uh, comes up is, well, you know, what about their evaluations? They're never as good. And so one of the things that we were talking about um, in the steering committee was this question of evaluations are really important and for historically or HWCUs to think when you are recruiting these faculty members, you have to expect these lower evaluations and you know, we need to be able to deal with that and not make that an exclusionary um, uh, way of avoiding the issue. So, thank you. Yes, thank you. The importance of contextualizing evaluations is critical. And, and again, the importance of understanding diversity and excellence, that they're not, they're not things that are in opposition, but can actually reinforce each other to a much greater degree. Um, this is Sheila O'Rourke, and I actually have the privilege of being the director of the President's Postdoctoral Fellowship Program. In terms of documenting success when you combine excellence with diversity, in the last decade, we've appointed 100 of these fellows to UC faculty positions, and of the first 51 to be eligible for tenure, 50 have achieved tenure. So I think it actually demonstrates that uh, scholars of color do need to be twice as good in order to be considered good enough. Thank you very much. You've been listening to a podcast by University of California Television. For more information about this program or UCTV, visit us online at uctv.tv.